Don't forget, if you laugh, I want you to record it. Before the Z-Wing fans, this is Thrust Richter here. I'm back on the street asking a few fans what they feel about Star Wars. With me today is Aaron. Aaron, quick question. What are the three things you love most about Star Wars? Oh, well, the diversity of characters, number one. Being able to see just more than just two-legged people out on the, you know, the universe is awesome. Second would have to be vehicles. I'm a wrench nut, so I like to see different things in different states of distress and decay, so I think that's been captured really well. Oh, like the Y-Wing. Eh, the Y-Wing, sure. But, you know, I have other favorites. Um, Moldy Crow is not one of them. Oh, what? So, gosh, number three, rich dialogue. You know, it's held up to the test of time. Uh, and when I talk about that, I mean the original three. I'm not talking about prequels. Yeah. So um, I think uh, he did really good with that initially. If there was one thing you could change about Star Wars, what would that be? Oh, well, definitely the first three. Well, the, the second three, however you want to, the prequels, yes. The prequels are definitely, I would like to see that redone, or if we could go back in time, seeing it given the treatment that the last three were given, I think would be uh, better because they don't really exist in my mind. Uh, man after my own heart. Well, we're definitely in alignment with that opinion. Thank you so much, Aaron. And now I'll return back to the studio with Chuck. Welcome, guys, to episode 17 of Before the Z-Wing podcast a Star Wars fan podcast. If you haven't figured that out by now, <laughs> I am Stefan Arnold, and laughing in the background is my co-host, Travis, a.k.a. Saboken. That's me. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you today? I am good. So if you guys haven't yet, please uh, prepare yourself for this episode with the Phantom Menace cosplay and ticket line episode. <laughs> yeah, hit pause right now. Go back and listen to that one first. Feel what it was like in 1999 when Travis spent oh, man. a crazy amount of time <laughs> in line before the Phantom Menace. Crazy. Hijinks, antics, cosplay, and all that stuff. So it was really a uh, fun, fun listen to that. So listen to that and then uh, restart this episode right now. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's get right to it, guys. Kind of jokingly said that uh, Phantom Menace was everyone's favorite Star Wars movie because it's, it's not. I'm sure some of you do like it the best and uh, we differ there. But Travis... We're doing our ratings out of five Stormtrooper helmets. Oh, yeah. Travis, what was your rating of the Phantom Menace? I'm going to save that to the end. All right. <laughs> well. What is yours? Then we're going to skip right along to whether you liked it as oh. a sci-fi movie, as a standalone movie. Did you like it overall? I'm going to edit some crickets in here. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is going on official record. What I say now is like permanent, regardless if I change my mind in a, a future yes. later episode. Uh, as a, a standalone science fiction film, I think The Phantom Menace is very ambitious. It's got some great entertaining action pieces in there. It has some flaws. Did I enjoy watching the movie when I sat in the theater for the first time watching it? I, I was, yeah. I don't know if I blinked or not. I mean, I was riveted. And then when the movie ended, I kind of had to reconcile hmm, that there's something weird about this. I'm not really sure. So I watched it a couple more times, and I think my opinion sort of you know, coalesced in a, well, we can forgive. It's the first time that the director right. slash writer slash creator is back in the filmmaking seat, so it'll probably get better from here. I guess that's how I left it. I, I liked it, but it'll probably get better from here. That was my impression. Gotcha. Yeah, I liked it, but I think there was some changes that could have been made or some things that, you know, some flaws that, that kind of were very detrimental to the movie, and we'll get into those as well. But, Travis, our second kind of criteria, which we laid out also in episode 16, was whether it added to the Star Wars saga. Did it do that for you? Overall, I'll, I'll have to say no. But there are some really cool things that it brought to Star Wars that I, I that I absolutely love. I love Qui-Gon Jinn. I love Darth Maul. I love the, the beginnings of Sidious taking over. I mean, all that stuff I really, really enjoyed. I like the dynamic between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan Kenobi. It was interesting to see Anakin 
being approached as a young boy instead of you know a younger man or a teenager learning. So that was an interesting move. I don't think I ever would have expected that to be where the starting point for the saga would be. But you know, when I realized that's what's happening because mm-hmm. approachable too, I said, let's go with it. I think the thing that hurts this movie the most is that the next two movies don't capitalize on on the gains that this movie puts in front of them, if that's a if that's a way to describe it. So I think overall, because the trilogy is is so hurt by you know the sum of all its parts, for me the Phantom Menace just probably isn't really <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 missable. You know, if you're really invested in the Star Wars saga, I, I don't think that the Phantom Menace and the two subsequent films are really all that necessary to see. Mild curiosity, sure, but... You've said before that you've actually woven them into the original trilogy for people to see as well, so maybe they don't need to see the whole thing. For the completionists out there or fans of the Clone Wars series and Rebels and probably even the forthcoming Kenobi show and um, whatever the Maul show that's alluded to, there's a lot of work that's going into these you know, subsequent Star Wars projects, putting a lot more importance on The Phantom Menace. You know, I love the Clone Wars, and it's almost a necessity to watch the relationship between Maul and Obi-Wan to appreciate what happens in the Clone Wars cartoon series and, of course, how things turn up in Rebels. So it's kind of a funky thing, like, okay, well, how do you present this fight between them if you don't watch The Phantom Menace? And I do appreciate it when when projects do that for other projects. Like, hey, like we talked about with the Solo, right? If you have two subsequent really cool Solo movies it makes it really important to watch Solo because those breadcrumbs were placed in that first movie. It's fun. It's a lot of action. It's great special effects. It's, you know, popcorn, great time in the theater. But then when you watch the subsequent films, like, okay, these are all calling back to the seeds that were planted back then. So let's go back and revisit those now that you have a a chance to see it in new context. I wish... absolutely. Yeah. And and those movies that Travis is referring to are two of his ideas for... Um, kind of follow-up movies to Solo about Boba Fett and Obi-Wan, and we have an episode on that already out. So go Woot check woot. that out as well. We are just all we are surround we are like surrounding Phantom Menace all all kind of around <laughs> around the way there. But so do you think the Phantom Menace is a net game for the franchise? It's difficult. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm, I'm going to say no, I guess <laughs> if I ha- if I have to say yes or no, I'm going to say no. I really like when we see more backstory as on characters that we really, really know well. Some of the kind of the season, I don't know, four, five or six, somewhere in there with the with the Walking Dead television show, we, we saw like basically a whole show backstory on some of our main characters before the the whole kind of the walking dead kind of went downhill a little bit anytime you you kind of get a full say in this case a prequel uh, or original trilogy and then you can go back and you can look it could have been a very interesting look at anakin and maybe you're right maybe it would have been better if it played out as as him as a young adult longer than what we saw as a boy that's Mm -hmm. that's certainly possible but it's a it's a decent start of the anakin story interesting that he's such a a young boy and and that he's certainly looked upon or felt by qui-gon there that he is the the chosen one um let's let's talk about more things that we liked about it let's talk about there were some good things in it, some cool things. What do we like about it? And then we'll go into some dislikes and then some changes we may have made. Oh, there are some amazing pieces yeah. to this movie. I mean, I, whenever it's on, I watch it. And it might be because of nostalgia. I don't know. But there's some really cool pieces in there that just it feels like pure Star Wars. And I think the biggest love I have for this movie is it opened up the barn doors as far as what's the potential of the Star Wars galaxy. You know, we weren't stuck in the outer rim. We weren't stuck on desolate planets like a snow planet or a desert planet. Yes, we visit a, a desert planet, but man, just seeing Coruscant, regardless of what was going yeah. on in Coruscant as far as a stellar telling device, it was just, wow, this is, this is a galaxy that has so many people in it, so many species in it, and they're all cooperating and talking to each other. And yeah, space politics... That's a tricky thing, right? You kind of want to talk about the space the politics. Space politics is a tricky thing. Tr- <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
as a storytelling device. <laughs> it's not exactly a compelling story unless it's a political thriller, which if The Phantom Menace would, had just stuck to that kind of a movie, a political thriller, I think it would have been super successful. But then what happens when you do that? Well, you lose a lot of the adventure stuff. You lose the Anakin Skywalker story. You lose the Qui-Gon Jinn stuff. And that stuff is all great. So then... Well, then do we make it just an action thriller where it's about them rescuing this princess, but then we jettison other stuff. My love is that the pieces are great, but my biggest probably overall gripe is that tonally, it's just a mess. And, you know, there's this funny video on the making of the movie where on the the old DVD, it might still be available on Disney Plus if you look at the extra section. I mean, you, you go through the whole process of watching George and his crew build this movie, film this movie, and they're in the editing process, and... After the credits roll on this, um, I don't even know if it's the first cut, but everybody's just dead silent in the theater. Really intriguing to watch everybody's reaction. You can just see George just thinking and thinking and thinking like, wow. And so finally, Ben Burt just kind of, he says it and then he's like, well, it really does have a lot of tone confusion or something along those lines. He says, you know, we go from lamenting a hero's death to a big celebration to these wacky Gungans. You know, it's just there's too many shifts all at once and it never really finds a tone that anchors the film. And that's straight from the very beginning. There, You know, is it funny? Yeah. Star Wars movies always have humor in it, but the humor always served the story in a way. And this one, it felt like that wasn't happening. It felt like there was jokes put in there to, to kind of lighten the mood, but really we we're talking about some heavier things. And for some reason, there was a big disconnect between the two. Yeah. Well, you said you, you liked the expansive galaxy that we saw in Coruscant there and all, all the different species. Uh, I really like the design of Naboo City. It harkens back to, uh, or harkens to, a Roman city just very regal, and mm-hmm. you could tell that it was a, a very important city just by looking at it just that way. And and that was that was interesting. I'm gonna toss some trivia at you. Yep. George you Lucas ended up directing this movie, but he first tried to get other directors to do it. Can you name three prominent directors that he asked to direct? Well, this clearly movie? Spielberg. Yes. Um, I would imagine. Um. Oh, geez. I just forgot his name. Back to the Future. Robert Zemeckis? Yes. Yes. So those are the two I would instantly thought. Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg. Who was the third? He starred in an earlier George Lucas So Ron movie. Howard, really? I mean, yeah. I know they worked on Willow together, Ron but I'm Howard. kind of surprised. Huh. I didn't know that. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, they had a working relationship yeah, twice, so... or if not more, but yeah, at least twice. Yeah, I... I forget who actually said, like, you should do it, but um, you might have told me that before. But basically they said, yeah, you, you should do this one. So so we did. Let me ask you, I don't remember, was Darth Maul's double sword in the previews before the movie? Yeah, what a terrible decision. A terrible decision. Why did they do that? To put it in the previews. They should not have done that. They should have saved that reveal for in the movie. That would have been awesome. That would have been epic. I just thought of that because I, I didn't remember and I was like... That, that's such a cool sword. I had that feeling when uh, Kylo Ren put his sword out yeah. and he got and he got the little hilt uh, the sides. Crossbar. That was I was like, what? Yeah. yeah, I was like, what is that? That is totally awesome. And that would have been mind blowing to see that in the in the movie. But as you said, it uh, Darth Maul's double sword was in the previews to the movie. Yep, I agree. It should have been a, it should have been held back, but. Let's get into a couple of our dislikes, and then we'll then we'll uh, ratchet it up and say what we actually liked about the movies because there were some fun things about it. So, what are a few things that you didn't like about the movie that didn't make it work for you overall? Oh man, <laughs> I don't want to turn this into a hate fest though. We had an earlier podcast episode where we kind of talked more about the discontinuity between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. But speaking about this specific movie. You've said it before, what a weird way to start the entire Star Wars saga, which is probably a reason why we would not start with this movie when introducing somebody brand new to Star Wars. I mean, the Can't the vague, it. prolonged politics, uh, and they're vague enough to nag. I mean, they're nagging. You're sitting there trying to figure out what is going on and why is this important? Why is this blockade happening? And it's just not an intriguing way to introduce Star Wars. So, you know, okay, we get it. Palpatine secretly conned the Trade Federation to blockade his plan to generate enough sympathy to win the election and become the next the Supreme Chancellor. But even me just saying that right now is boring. Like, please, can we just make this a little bit more easier to understand and more compelling? One of the things that was going to come up with my changes, but I'm just going to say it right now. 
Show me, don't tell me. Show me why the Trade Federation is important to begin with. Show me how they conduct themselves outside the specific situation of blockade that's a blockade over Naboo. You know, using droids to police trade routes, that sort of thing. That way I can understand why this Trade Federation even has the authority to do this kind of thing. Because it seems to me that if the Trade Federation is doing this absurd blockade of this planet, and we're told, we're not shown, but we're just told that this occupation that the Naboo people are starving to death and dying in these concentration camps. How is it? How is it the government of the Galactic Republic allowing this to happen? Why would they allow the Trade Federation to have this kind of authority to be unchecked and not be held accountable for their actions? It just doesn't. That, that part. Money. But still, we need to see Money that. Money is the root of all evil. But Travis. we still need to see that. We need to see how they profit from yes, the situation. We need to see it. We yes. needed to see that. Yes. There's there's a lot of things here. That could have been edited down. Um, you and I both have kind of like an editing background. You with you with film, in film school, and me with words. Mm-hmm. And you know, when in doubt, cut cut it out right. is is kind of our mantra. And and uh, as you said, show us and and reverse pyramid and all that for for words and everything. But it's if you're just, gonna take me this far, just give me the whole thing. Yeah. Let's make it right. a political thriller. Let's make it the Manchurian Candidate. Let's make it something that doesn't have to deal with Anakin Skywalker. doesn't have to deal with the Gungans. doesn't have pod races. Let's just make it a political thriller. There's a book that's out. It's no longer canon, but I think a lot of fans still treat it as canon, and it's called Darth Plagueis. It's Angle in the Star Wars galaxy. It's a prequel to The Phantom Menace, but it actually has that political intrigue that I think The Phantom Menace would have been better served if it was just that. Yeah, I agree with you. The... The political stuff was, there was enough of it to be almost confusing without explaining exactly what it was. So it wasn't like something you could ignore because maybe two thirds of the movie was centered around that. Mm -hmm. And then the the rest was like them trying to get off the planet with their broken ship. Right. But it was, it was just, yeah, there was too much to ignore and it maybe didn't go deep enough or was explained well or... I don't know. It, yeah, you're, I, I get you there. One thing that I did not like, and I've said this before as well, is just the ineptness of the battle droids. Uh, <laughs> the droid armies, just like, they're just awful and they can't do anything and they're so easily killed. And especially when the Jedis are going against them, you 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 never have a sense that the Jedis are in danger. It's just, yeah. they're... Oh, here comes 10 droids. They chop off yeah. their heads and they're done. They cut through them like you know, butter. It's like, what? Yeah, I mean, the battle droids, the little circular crab guys, those those are a little bit more of a challenge. But You're talking about the destroyers, the droid deckers? Yeah, the destroyers, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and it's just, why even? Why were they even made if they're going to be that that poorly um, you know, designed or capable of, of fighting? I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it seems like there's a big piece with that missing, right? I mean, why is the Trade Federation even considered this threat? If we just, I don't know, seen the Trade Federation at work, what they do, they use the droid army to police the trade lanes because obviously the Nemoians just can't be everywhere all at once. And showing that the droids were actually quite competent and capable when compared to the average person so that, yeah, I would understand why the Jedi can probably move through them. But you're right. I mean, I never felt like the droids were a threat. You don't want your main bad guy to be considered a joke because then the stakes are gone. Then you might as well just make it a comedy where it really isn't about any kind of consequences. There's no drama in this. And let's just make it a comedy. A Stormtrooper is kind of right that line, too, because there's such bad shots. And I don't know. I mean, maybe my parents felt the same way about the Stormtroopers as I do about the, like you said, the droids. I don't know. It just seems like they're a little inept to the point where, like, well, why are they even... Why, why are we dealing with this right now? It's from a story. Yeah, I mean, the only thing they have going for them is numbers. You know, when you're surrounded by 50 of them, that's one thing. But if you're outnumbered two to one or three to one, you're still going to easily win. So yeah. what, what what matter does it make? So, but that's one of the things I didn't like. But obviously we can't kill the Jedis in every single movie. We're going <laughs> to run out of Jedis. Do you have any other ones before we move on to our changes? I do. And again, this is kind of a one that so many people have actually griped about too. I don't know if I have the same bitterness towards this particular part of the movie, but I do think it's where a lot of the stumbling blocks begin to to cascade and, and push this movie to being... Oh, you're talking about Jar Jar. Yeah, I'm talking about the Gungans in general. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just, they feel so shoehorned in. And I understand it's kind of cool to, to kind of show this diversity in this galaxy. Like, hey, there's another sentient civilization that is cohabiting this planet 
but you know kenobi when they get captured or whatever they're addressing their main leader he he makes this weird statement about how the gungans are in a symbiotic relationship with the naboo and so they have to you know rise to the call or something like the movie never shows us this there's no evidence of any kind of symbiotic relationship so it feels like one of those weird things where like george lucas just threw that word in because it was hot at the time you don't see like an economy where the two are depending on each other is it trade exactly like what is it yeah what why the the gungans don't serve the story they're an obstacle for the jedi to get through they're delayed by the gungans when they're first trying to rescue the queen they still rescue the queen and they pick up this hitchhiker i just i wish that the gungans you know that they're kind of represented as a warrior race but we never really see them as such you know they don't really interact with the jedi in a way that makes us feel like they're being threatened i think if you're going to have that kind of a um a story element introduced into the into the movie that early on which is actually a great plot device to have you know we have to create some tension we have to show the jedi are vulnerable in certain ways they're just not these you know super humans that can do anything at will right so if they had been captured by the gungans and the gungans were a real threat maybe the gungans weren't um susceptible to force you know mind tricks that kind of thing and then if they were thrown in prison and then they met a criminal Jar Jar, and basically he got exiled from the community because he was a criminal in a, in a weird way. It's kind of hinted at. And then the value of, of the Jar Jar character, if he was actually a, a villain who helps them escape the city, and now they're wanted by the Gungans, that would have been more compelling about finding the redemption in people, redemption in the lost souls sort of thing, because then they rely on, on Jar Jar a little bit later, you know, tone down the slapstick, the poop jokes, just back it off. I think that would have been made more sense because as it sits right now, they're almost impossible to watch. I mean, granted, it's, you know, it was 1999. So the effects that they used to, to render the Gungans has not aged very well. They look like, you know, cart or video game cutscenes. I just, you know, I don't know. I could go on for days, but the Gungans just, I would have jettisoned them out or made them more of a threat, more of a story element that was capitalized on later. Yeah, I mean, they, as you said, they didn't do a lot. They, we, we met them. Uh, then we took off and did ninety percent of the movie, and then, uh, oh, hey, they're fighting, and uh, hey, they help, they help the everyone win. So, but they didn't really help everybody win. They were a distraction for the majority of the droid army, but they didn't defeat the droid army. I don't know. I just there's something about that whole part of the movie that is so skippable I mean, if it was just pulled out of there i think the yeah. movie would have one not have such severe tonal shifts going on as it cuts back from one storyline to the other storyline because every time the gungans are on there it's just it's absurd but not in a good way it's not in an entertaining way and i have a quick question why are surface native equestrians used in an underwater city that is a good good question <laughs> like how do they even get them down there i, I, I don't know <laughs> it yeah. Oh, and I got another one from the Gungans. Yes. The Gungans, when they go in hiding, where do they go? Jar Jar says to go somewhere. Do you remember where they go? Where they go? What he, how he refers to it as? The swamps or something? I don't know. Yeah, well, we no. know it's a swamp area, but he says, oh, when Gungans in trouble, they go to sacred place, right? In the swamps, right? Yeah, they, they show the temple place. later, right? Okay. Did you take a look at all the quote-unquote temple or sacred statuary that's around them? It didn't look anything like Gungans. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that as well. Okay. All right, enough with the Gungans. Another main thing is Obi-Wan was just on the cruiser for too long. That that whole sequence where he was on the cruiser and Qui-Gon Jinn and Padme were in, in town, like that took so long and they were so separated and it was just like, can I can I get some love for my Obi-Wan here? <laughs> I just It was just a little little over overly long for that um, split in the movie i don't know if i i mean i know exactly what you're talking about but i don't know if that actually bothers me i don't know i mean i guess that was well, one of the reasons should, i think that's one of the reasons why i felt it was a quagon film but you're right i mean i don't know i don't think that's something i necessarily would have felt needed to be changed i mean yeah i don't know we'll see and i didn't say it need to be changed i'm going to reserve that for a couple of other things like he's doing nothing for 36 hours or whatever it is. Yeah, but I mean, from a storytelling storytelling perspective, I totally agree with you. But from the in-universe perspective, I mean, as far as any of those people knew, he was actually at that moment protecting the queen on the Naboo starship. 
because the queen was allegedly still on board, right? So it was up to him to protect her, while Qui-Gon was the one to go and fetch the parts. That setup delivered when it came to the pod race. And if we kept coming back to Obi-Wan, that would have really slowed that section down. And it would have also cut out parts that I think were very important. I mean, there's an element to this movie that's very weird to accept, and that's the Shmi Skywalker slash Anakin Skywalker relationship and how she can just let the Jedi take her son away. In a way, it didn't go far enough to convince us that Anakin's life was at such risk being a boy, being a slave in Tatooine, that the mom says, I got to give my son up so we can have a chance at a better life. Yeah, they didn't they didn't go quite far enough in, in that as well. Cool. Yeah, I agree. But can you imagine how much more severe that would have felt if we kept cutting back to Obi-Wan and distracting that storyline and not just getting a chance to, to see that di- dynamic develop? Even though it's a, it's a shortfall, but at least develop as much as it did. But I mean, Obi-Wan can be around with that whole group and still not... Um, that We can still see that, but Obi-Wan's there and and helping them where they are no but nobody's protecting the queen then well the queen's bodyguards are yeah i don't know i mean they they gotta be they gotta be doing something the jedi were tasked with protecting it i I think it would have been too many characters at once if if obi-wan had joined the landing party as as it were yeah i understand that but they could have shortened that part so it didn't seem like obi-wan was was out of the picture for that long they could have maybe shortened the whole process of what they did there both <laughs> in movie gotcha. uh, time and then actual real real time while we were watching it enough with our dislikes i know we've spent quite a long time on that guys but now let's go into what we liked about the movie what we would have maybe changed a little bit of it and how we liked it so travis what did you like about it oh palpatine oh, i love watching palpatine work this system ian McDiarmid is delightful as Palpatine. It's so much fun to watch him chew through the scenery. It's so strange to see some of these performers grab this material and make it their own and and sell it and others just flounder with it. Um, I'm not sure if I like Darth Sidious. I would have liked to have seen something different there, not maybe a Darth Sidious situation, maybe a different Sith master pulling the strings and maybe he thought he was manipulating Palpatine, but then Palpatine double-crossed him in the end, that kind of thing. I don't like Palpatine as a Darth in this sense, but I just love all of... I mean, if you watch his very subtle facial expressions when you know his plans are are falling into place, so delightful. Like, when he... When he gets announced as as being nominated for uh, Supreme Chancellor, as she's walking out the door, he says, you know, your highness, please stay here where you'll be safe. And then she kind of says her little thing about she does. She walks away. It cuts back to him. And man, the faintest smile starts to come across his face right before the camera cuts. And that I love that it did that kind of stuff. I love that it, he got those lines and he delivered them with such yeah such especially conviction. watching it now after the rise of skywalker spoiler alert palpatine's in that as well just to see him at the very beginning of his remaking of the the senate into the uh, galactic empire mm-hmm. uh, that was fun to watch one thing that i i really liked was we were introduced to one of our heroes for all the movies c3po so it was kind of cool to see him you know first start out as anakin's uh project uh robot that was that was cool to see him start out and be what we know and love as c3po but man doesn't that cause a lot of problems i i hated that <laughs> i hated that so much why come on stefan <sighs> Darth Vader Darth Vader made C-3PO on Tatooine. That's just it's so small world. It's so unnecessary. It's and it's not even the kind of fun thing it's like, "Oh, oh, so cool. Anakin Skywalker made C-3PO and C-3PO just happens to be the property of the princess after a while. And then he's a, then sold and he's a property of Owen Lars and Luke Skywalker and he just kind of no. I I you know what? Here's the way they introduce R2-D2 in the story is fantastic. He's just an astromech and he saved their butts. And then he tags along. That I love that introduction. So this is how R2 is brought into the, the whole saga. This That's it. He's doing his, his duty. Having Anakin build this droid, and it really becomes an, a, a, 
a very big problem in Attack of the Clones because here is this protocol droid named C-3PO and you're trying to tell me that Owen Lars, you know, some 30 years later, 20 years later, whatever it is, purchases C-3PO from the Jawas and he's it's not going to ring any bells for this guy? I, I didn't like that at all. I think it was cool design with him not having his casings on there. Uh, you know, Anthony Daniels doing, a, I mean, he is C-3PO. It's lovely to watch him again. I just think they they missed it. They, they should have brought him in in a, in a capacity that was much more similar to RTD2. I think he probably should have been the Queen's translator already there from the very get-go. And I think the Nemoidians probably should have spoken a different language that we couldn't understand and that he was translating for them. That would have made more sense for me. You know, we see him in his element. This is what he does. He's a protocol droid. He translates. And then he gets swept up to this whole thing. And then R2 saves the ship. So they're both from Naboo. That's fine. That's not too small world enough for me. <laughs> okay, hold on. You said Nemoidians, isn't it? Naboo? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> the Naboo. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not even better. What if he was like, he would remember at the very beginning of the movie, there's uh, CT-14, the silver protocol droid. What if that was actually C-3PO? And that's how I got roped in this whole thing. He was a translator from Nemoidians. That's actually, I like that even better. I'd have to figure We're out the to make sure it works. I don't even the, know what you're talking about. The Nemoidians, the Trade Federation, they're called the Nemoidians. Ah, uh, okay. All right. What else did you love? I also liked that they were ETs in the Imperial Senate. But man, doesn't that create a lot of problems? That creates a lot of weird... I mean, don't get me wrong. For the few people who actually noticed the ET species was in the Senate, they were you know like, oh, great, that's a cool little Easter egg. But if you kind of take it literally, well, <laughs> literally in a Star Wars universe, <laughs> I mean, that kind of connects the Star Wars galaxy to our galaxy. And, you know, are we their future? I don't know. But there's another really cool cameo piece, a, sci-fi piece in there too. Episode of yeah, for the Z-wing podcast in Watto's but junk yeah, shop. So cool. Wait, 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 wait! No, we're, we're talking about Senate. trivia stuff. Come on now. In Watto's junkyard, what? the escape pod, or the um, not the escape pod, but just the um, the pods <laughs> from 2001, they're in that scene too. So if you're looking really closely, when Watto and Qui Gon are outside discussing parts there in Republic credits, if you look behind Qui Gon Jinn. They built the pod from 2001, from the Discovery. You know, open the pod bay doors, I'm Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> I can't do that, Dave. Well, awesome, yeah. I mean, it was a total Easter egg. It was a very, very quick um, viewing of the E.T. species. And um, most deep Star Wars fans know that it was there, but still awesome to see. Um, and one of the ships I liked were the uh, the droid troop carrier ships. They were they're kind of cool looking um, as they were making their way down to the planet. They were kind of cool. They didn't make our list of top twenty Star Wars vehicles. You'll have no, to check that out. They did, but kind of a cool ship. And of course, Travis, I'll say my last main like pod racing. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I, did you watch the same movie? Very I did? cool. Sorry, very cool. <laughs> I figured out which. Flag was Anakin's because he had the same thing on his pod. Yes. So it's kind of cool. He had the blue and white flag and the blue and white uh, paint scheme. Yeah. Um, as I said before on a different podcast, totally something that would happen with that technology. Just get those things up and running and put them on a, you know, a 10 mile circuit race course or whatever it was and just go to town. So yeah, that was fun to see. I yep. think that pod what racer did... sequence was, I mean, I, I don't know how to, I mean, I don't want to sound like a gushing fanboy, but I absolutely love the pod race. I mean, the audacity and the controlled chaos of the pod race is from a filmmaking point of view or a story. To, I mean, I get it. I understand why some people felt it was so long it became boring. And when it comes to like telling a trim story, this was just the excesses of budget and the want to just have this really fun thing in the middle of a movie. Does the gain of how it carries a story worth the amount of time they spent in the pod racing? Absolutely not. But what was it? It was a scene that felt like just a pure celebration of what Star Wars once was and the potential of what it could be moving forward. I mean, we had Jawas in there. We had Sand People. It was it was a great mix of the old and yeah, the now. The people were shooting at them. Exactly. <laughs> I, I loved all of that just stuff. Like... It just... <laughs> It felt great. The only thing oh, I didn't good. like about it was the two announcer, two headed announcer guy. I thought that was just a little bit goofy. But then that was kind of that was the Phantom Menace. There was always these really random goofy parts mixed in with compelling intrigue. And it 
for me, it just yes. it overall that kind of thing is what sank the film. It didn't necessarily break yeah. the deal with it because I still think that as a first start, yeah, it's, it was a little rough. But anyway, I, I love the pod racing scene. I thought it was great. I mean, if they made just a, a, a like a side movie about the life and times of a pod racer team, yeah, I'd watch that. You know, they go to different planets <laughs> for different circuits, and it's all about racing. Oh Why yeah, why not? Of course, yeah, you got to go over like water and. And uh, through jungles and stuff. Yeah, of course. Well, that's gotta, what the video game was. The different tracks. The Pod Racer video game. They went yeah. on snow planets. That, yeah, yeah, it was great. So that, w- that was fun to see again. And I hadn't seen that scene in a while. So it's fun to revisit that. I have a love for you. Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah, Qui-Gon Jinn. Very cool to see like a somewhat rogue Jedi, you know, challenging the status quo based on his connection to the living force, even though it wasn't necessarily stated then that comes out in the Clone Wars cartoon series. I would have preferred Kenobi being the one to insist on taking on Anakin against Jin's advice. That I think that would have been more compelling for building Kenobi's character and then later on capitalizing on his guilt for who Anakin becomes. But Liam Neeson, I mean, talk about chewing through scenery. I mean, that guy, I mean, he's a big guy anyway, so his presence on the screen was just... You couldn't miss it, right? He had such command of yep. everything going on. I love that character. Maybe a few little tweaks here and there, but for the most part, that was and awesome. Then he passed away. Did he? Oh well. You haven't seen the cartoons. <laughs> yes. All right, Travis. It's nineteen ninety-seven. You mm-hmm. are in the writer's room or you're sharing a beer with George Lucas. Uncle and George. Yes. Uncle George. And he asks your opinion on a couple of things. Yeah. Uh, would you like to do your subtle changes first or do you want me to? Sure. Go ahead. Do one and then I'll do one. Well, my... Uh, we each okay. have two, right? Yeah. I have a... Well, I have about three, Ugh. I guess. But one I've already kind of talked about, so I'll just... I'll just <laughs> hey, who are you talking to? Come on. Nothing's ever just one or two exactly. with me. I'm comprehensive. <laughs> Again, energy going into this is that if we had been in the writing room with George Lucas or whoever was making these Star Wars movies and we had a chance to read the script and develop it with him, what were the things that we would have hopefully caught and said, oh, this might not work very well. So maybe tweak this here or change it. We're not really trying to rewrite the movie. We're trying to respect the creator's intent or what they really want to do, but just want to catch the ear and saying, hey, this might be, this might lead to problems later on, or this is a contradiction, that kind of thing. So my biggest change for all of this in The Phantom Menace is it's just show, don't tell. This movie is all about dialogue, exposition, and it doesn't really show us a whole lot. And I think it's saving those moments so when it really gets to the action, like the saber fight at the end and the pod racing sequence, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, it's showing us those sequences. But I still, it's not very entertaining being told all this background stuff that's kind of leading up to these moments. Just show us what's going on. Show us. We like to watch things, you know. So show me the Naboo are dying. Or if they're not dying, show me that they're not. You know, was that just a lie? I want to, because she seems so concerned about them dying, but then we never see that happening. Are they starving to death? What's the concentration camps? Just a quick thing. It could have been like a 20 second cut to the Nemoidians surveying the concentration camps and still talking to Palpatine. You know, it doesn't always have to be in the throne room. Show me why the Trade Federation is important. Show me why the, how they conduct business, like I said before, using the droids to police trade routes. So you give me one of yours. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you there. Mine is, um, as we said, Jar Jar Binks. Um, I'm fine with him because George came out and said it. He said he was making the, this movie for his kids, right? Okay. So it's a little bit more kid-friendly and yep. totally get it. And, of course, he can do whatever he wants to do. If there was just a little bit less focus on Jar Jar, so he became almost like R2-D2. He's, he's there when you need him. He actually does something productive for the group. And then we kind of, like forget about him for a little while then he could still be mm-hmm. he could still be on screen he could still do a few goofy things still be quote-unquote loved by children but then he's less annoying to every single adult on the planet on the planet <laughs> so just dial back jar jar binks to 75 percent instead of 100 percent. that's that's one subtle change i would have asked george lucas all right give me your next one so my my last follow-up change or whatever is follow through on character motivations. You know, Qui-Gon said they needed Jar Jar to navigate through the planet core. Okay, we'll have Jar Jar then navigate them through the planet core. You know, he's sitting in the ship and he's just cracking these jokes. And then what does Qui-Gon say? Oh, well, the Force will guide us. Okay, well, if the Force is going to guide you, you don't need, need Jar Jar in the ship because Jar Jar's not needed then. So why is he tagging along? 
It's interesting you said at the beginning that George had had pursued hiring a director for this. I think he should have pushed for it harder. You know, hire a director who's known for getting great performances out of the actors. I think that for a lot of people, if the performances of Jake Lloyd, you know, a lot of the other characters in here, Natalie Portman, I mean, these are all fine actors in other projects. If George just hired somebody who was really good with getting those performances out of the actors, then I, I think a lot of the Phantom Menace would have been fine. You know, Lucas is a very solid visionary when it comes to world building and science fiction action sequence, but he's not adept at directing actors. And Carrie Fisher used to come down on him. as like, yeah, faster, more intense. That's like his direction, right? It's a kind of a joke. And he knows this. You know, he hired Irvin Kirshner to direct Empire Strikes Back because he didn't want to do it. He knew that that wasn't his strong suit. His strong suit is editing, storytelling and editing. That's where he is. And it's just, it's unfortunate that you know, the, first of all, the three that he asked turned him down. You know, who wants to take on that project to begin with? But still, like, hey, find somebody. You yeah. know, sacrifice some of your budget and just go for it. You know, I, I don't think it was pride. He doesn't seem like that kind of person. My assumption is maybe he was just protective. But now that, you know, you remind me of this information, maybe he was just, he was backed on a wall and says, well, I guess I'm going to have to direct this myself and we'll just see how how we can do it. That's too bad, really, it is, because I think that, if someone had just said tapped him on the shoulder like a um, like a Lawrence Kasdan or even Steven Spielberg just you know reviewing the script with him saying hey there's some things in here you know overall you got a really great story going on but just let's tweak this here and let's tweak that there and, and see where it yeah. goes so that's unfortunate it's like a missed opportunity but at the same time I mean the guy hasn't made a movie since '83 right I mean he's been working on stuff on the side. Well, I guess Howard the Duck and the Indiana Jones films would be part, but again Spielberg directed Indiana Jones you know. Lucas produced yeah. it, but Spielberg was in the director yeah. chair. My last one was about Anakin's mom. Anakin's mom uh, and him being a slave. And there was really no attempt by Qui-Gon to save her. You know, he could have He could have said... But yeah, he did. He tried to negotiate for her freedom. Well, no, but he, he didn't. What he could have done was he could have said, listen, this is our deal now. I don't have enough to, to buy the freedom of the boy and the mom. But giving me the mom, and I will send you back whatever supplies you need. Like huh? if you don't take Republic credits, that's cool. But I'm, you know, I'm the Jedi. You have the word, my word as a Jedi, that I will send you five times what she's worth. Um, yeah, but I think the movie pretty clearly established that the the Jedi's word was not respected out in the outer rim and Tatooine and stuff like that. I mean, they didn't take Republic credits. I don't. There's no motivation for Wada to accept Qui Gon on his word. He needed something material. What, how would that play out for you if, if he did save her? What what would be your storyline? She could have been, obviously, a good influence on her son. No. So. No. Um, and she, wait, this is how they could play that out, too. Maybe she's free now and she decides to stay on Tatooine. She has very little connection to Anakin as he grows up, becomes more powerful, kind of gets full of himself. And realizes that he's kind of beyond the Jedi or he's more he can be more powerful than the Jedi and turns to the dark side. He could do all that and we could have still seen his mother freed in the movie and then maybe killed later in a, in the same way she was uh, by the Sand People or in a different way where Anakin has to break and then turn bad completely. That still could have happened, and we still could have had that a whole thing. She just could have been more realistically freed. It just speaks to me that the Jedi don't figure out a way to free this woman that they have a connection with. At the same time, they are freeing her son because her son is valuable to what they want to do. But how would he have freed her? He already tried. He didn't have the collateral it would have taken to convince Watto to, to put both slaves up. And I know you said that the they don't re accept Republic credits, and he said that too. But if he said, like, listen, I'll send you stuff, I'll no, make it again, right. again, that's taking him for his word. It's not going to work. I mean, the Come only on, way it's going to work is if he left, he left, like, the ship or he left the entourage of the Queen there. Maybe he left Obi-Wan there. I don't know. I don't... Maybe he left a whole bunch of droids. I I just don't I th see. Yeah. I think it would have been very, very realistic. Like, okay, what is she worth to you? I'll give you 10 times that. But then again, the next, I mean, what you're talking about is kind of, 
it's touched on in the movie. He wasn't there to free slaves. I mean, he had an objective, and that was get the queen as quickly as possible back to Coruscant. So delaying that by adding this side mission on there, I think that it was just kind of against his mandate that time. Like, I need to get the queen back. I need to quit, get the queen back. Well, he I found could, this force. Once he's on Coruscant, he could do all that. He doesn't, they don't have to go somewhere No, but he still has supplies. to get to Coruscant. So if he suddenly slows down and tries to figure out some way to bargain for Smee no, Skywalker to be released. he doesn't need to released. bargain anything. He, he, he says in like two, literally two minutes, hey, I'm going to pay you for this woman 10 times no, what Stephen, she's worth. That I'll doesn't work. No, he has to pay for her in that I, moment. That does, if if you accept someone's word and this is a Jedi no knight, no no this is that's not how this whole Star Wars thing has been set up though and they they're very clear about this come on come on there is no trust in Tatooine Watto doesn't trust him at all in fact he's trying to scam him out of out of his ship so no there's no there's no incentive for Watto to trust that the Jedi is going to follow through his words and we actually get a slice of life as far as a lot of people don't even have a lot of respect for the Jedi as far as the Outer Rim goes anyway there's no reason why Watto would trust him if the mind trick had worked your story plot point would be perfect. No. But because Wada wouldn't allow the mind trick to work because Toydarians aren't susceptible to that kind of thing, he needed something in his hand to to say, you know, you can take both slaves. No. But I want collateral right now. I want compensation right now. The normal people, maybe the regular people wouldn't do that. But as a businessman, he would be like, oh, you're going to pay me 10 times and you don't have it now. Hey, I think I can trust you. Do but they everybody, trust no, the no, but... Nobody takes a loan without some kind of collateral or down payment because there has to be incentive for him to come back. He's not going to just, oh, yeah, take the slave and I, I'll trust your just, word as your just bond. Just trust me. That, just trust no, me. No, that doesn't this work is, in Star that's Wars. That's kind of how it worked back in the day as well. Kind of the old West, like, hey, I'll get you next time. Oh, you my God. I mean? Yeah, when it comes to beers, <laughs> beers and bullets, but not when it comes to so, people's lives. But in the movie, like, I'm going to take the kid but leave the mom in slavery. That is just not what a jedi oh, does no hey i i totally even when i watched it the first time i thought that was weird like what i mean i wasn't even a parent then but even as a dad looking at it now i'm like what that i would never let my child go unless the situation they were in was so dire that she had to orphan her child off and again show me don't tell me show me that the living conditions are so bad there is no future for this kid that she makes that sacrifice because she loves him and as far as Qui-Gon's decision to only save the boy, I mean, we know he tried to save the mom too, but he didn't put a whole lot of effort into it as far as what we see on screen. So we have to assume that he did. But at the same time, the life of a Jedi is detachment. There is no relationships with family. So, you know, yeah, I'm going to take your son. I'm going to free you too, but you're not going to have any contact with him because he's not going to be not going to be guided nor allowed to contact her to visit her again because that just isn't done. That's not how the Jedi live, conduct their lives because once they have that attachment, which is why Yoda says what he does, then it becomes a problem. And so this kind of capitalizes the whole thing from Empire Strikes Back. Like, well, he's too old to be trained. He already has too many attachments. It's going to be too hard to break through that to get him back to point zero and move forward from there, which is why I said in one of our really early episodes, I think it's actually easier to be a Jedi than it is to do the dark side. Because if you detach yourself from all that stuff and you never ever expose yourself to any kind of relationships and love at that level, then it's really easy to become a monk because you don't have to worry. You're not not attached to the worldly possessions and that kind of stuff. It's just like, this is my life. This is what I do. And I'm not going to open myself up to any kind of diversity beyond that. I I get that. And I get that for the the storyline of the Jedi. But it doesn't make sense that mm-hmm. they wouldn't free the mom, overpay for her. Hey, I, trust me, I'm a Jedi. I'm going to send you back a whole truckload of Tatooine gold or whatever they use. <laughs> and just, just Republic like, pay credits? for the mom. And even, no. even if they have to separate her, even if they don't want Anakin. Republic credits don't work out here. He needs something more real. He needs money. No, come on. It could have been done. It would have been so easy to do. I think it was just a, a missed opportunity and a, a, a moral failing on the Jedi to leave this woman in save, slavery. I know they weren't there. Didn't yeah, but time, I see, I see that as being a really cool plot point for that. The whole the slavery and the whole planet. Because it that. makes you question the Jedi. Like, well, where are their priorities? Shouldn't they be compelled to save everybody? But then again, if he's going to save these two slaves, he's got to save all the slaves somehow, right? And then again, it takes him away from his mission. Now... If 
we'd had a moment. Now, this is maybe solve what you're talking about. If we'd had a moment where Qui-Gon sat Anakin down and said, I know this is rough for you. And I really did try to save your mom. But once we get the queen back to Naboo and we get this iron out, you and I will go back and we'll get your mom together. And that would have made the tragedy of Qui-Gon's death even more poignant, especially in the eyes of Anakin, because this Jedi Knight who was going to train him, who had all the faith in him and promised to go take him back to Tatooine and rescue his mom dies. And so now the, the Jedi Council is like, no, we don't we don't bargain for people's lives like that. You, you're you part of the Jedi Order. You're supposed to not even talk to your parents anymore. That's I don't know what Qui-Gon promised you, but he was way out of line. We're sorry, but here you off. You're going to boot camp. That would have been a really cool story moment, because if we had that moment where Qui-Gon had that heart to heart with with Anakin, that would have that would have one more nail in the coffin about why Anakin surrendered to the dark side. That would then now would have actually made more sense about why Anakin would be so easy to turn against the Jedi Order because they wouldn't let him go back to save his mom when this one Jedi Knight said he would. That what? See, this is what I'm talking about. Why weren't these things thought about back then? Why? Why? See, so I told you she oh, should have been Jesus. freed. That would have made the whole story better. See, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad I had beers with Jordan in 1997. <laughs> oh man, I love this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so some subtle changes, nothing earth shattering that would affect the uh, the future of any movie uh, down the road. Uh, less yeah. Jar Jar and freeing Anakin's mom for me. And then actually knowing more about the Trade Federation for Travis and whatever the other one you're, you <laughs> pick a it's, For me, it's Phantom Mass need to just pick a lane and stay in it. Pick a lane and stay in that lane. <laughs> Who's a lane? <laughs> no, I got it. I understand <laughs> you. All right, Travis, we are at the end. Some things we didn't like, some, some things we did like, and some changes we wanted to make. This is the end. Out of five Stormtrooper helmets... Mm-hmm. What do you rate The Phantom Menace? So I think when I watched it prior to episode two and three coming out, I would have given it a solid three. But in the context of the whole saga, it's it's a 2.5 for me. 2.5 helmets yeah. out of five helmets. I'm always more generous than you. I'm going to give it <laughs> three helmets out of five. So generous you is... think people should just take your word. <laughs> yes. Well, Yes. Uh, I would take the word of a Jedi Knight. I'm sorry. Even though I'm from the Outer Rim, I, I'm going to take your word, Jedi Knight Master Guy. Um, so I'm going to give it three out of five, which still wait a isn't one. No, wait a minute. You whoa, can't whoa. say that to me and not expect whoa. a response. Okay. If the Jedi Knights were so revered on the Outer Rim, then how come the Jedi revered. Knights were out there helping people in the Outer Rim? There should have been no slavery to begin with because the Jedi Knights were already invested in protecting the people in the Outer Rim. I'm not saying they are revered. I'm not saying they're even liked or... Um, well, then why would he have an incentive to trust him to come back and pay him all this uh, extra money for Shmi Skywalker if he... I, I I, see a flaw in that logic, my friend. If there are <laughs> people of... Like the Jedi, I can't even... I can't even... I mean, I can think of some on Earth, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to say them in the podcast... <laughs> if the Je- if the Jedi were exactly in that situation, and the the you could give that greedy shop owner ten times what Anakin's mom was worth, he would take that that deal. And if he had to wait whatever it was a month for those supplies or whatever, he would do that. Simple as that. that. Oh, you're that gonna give me ten water. times worth what she's worth? Yes, I will do that. That's not Watto. Watto was not presented as that kind of character. Ben, you, you give it three out of five. I give it two. <laughs> he's a slimy businessman. Yeah. Maybe he's so slimy he doesn't. He wouldn't do that, but I think he would. Hey, we're gonna give you ten times what what this uh, slave is worth. You gonna you want it? It'll take me uh, a month. I'll send it back from Coruscant. Right to you. I'll send one yeah. of my. I'll send a Padawan. I'll send one of my <laughs> Padawans right back with with ten times. You want it or not? If I was Wada, I would have just laughed in his face. Like, no, I don't Give trust you. Give me a you. break. Give me a break. <laughs> that character would do that. I'm sorry. That character would do that. What do you What do you want for her? Okay. You got it. Give me a month. Here you go. Thanks. We're, we're out of here. Anyway. This argument is going to spill over into so many future episodes. 
right, you gave it two and a half Stormtrooper helmets. I gave it three out of five, which still isn't wonderful. That's 60%. Maybe, maybe not a cohesive movie, a, a full tour de force of the Star Wars saga, but that is coming in future episodes. Boom. Boom. Travis, is that going to do it for tonight? Anything else on The Phantom Menace? Please say no. <laughs> I think we covered it. <laughs> Did you just Jedi mind trick me? Yes. That'll do it, folks. And next time so, on Before the z wait, 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 Podcast. Wait, so, <laughs> go ahead, Travis. Don't cut me off. Come on. So... So something I didn't share with you on our last episode <laughs> was a, a story because I didn't want to spoil anything. I told you there was a little boy who was camped out in line with us. Theo was mm. his name. And I can't remember how old he was, but he was young. And his mom was there and she was great trying to take care of him. And I think it was, she was a single mom. And she, I guess at some point, because we knew Theo was there, she would obviously take him home. He wasn't going to camp out in the line, but he was always present. And everybody just kind of, you know, their Star Wars fan way adopted him as their own. He's part of the group. Well, Rick McCollum, the producer for Lucas Lucasfilm at the time, he had come down and they were going to do a press screening at the Cornet Theater. And he invited a very select few of the fans who were already camped out to see the movie early. Awesome. And Theo, Theo was, was one of these very few people that got to go in, Theo and his mom. And so I think they'd seen it, I think it was the day before, because I was already in Darth Maul makeup when I was hanging out with my friend Frank and uh, Scott and a whole bunch of friends. There was a pizza parlor next door to the Cornet Theater. It was a round table pizza. And we were in there having lunch. And so Theo was already dressed up as Anakin, and I was already fully dressed up as Darth Maul. And I was, it was midday. And so we're just sitting there just kind of hanging out, just, you know, waiting for the movie. So his mom wants to take a picture of him with me. And so he's, he's, we're sitting next to each other. I'm kneeling down on the ground and she takes the picture and everyone's just like, yeah, this is so cool. And they're all taking pictures too. And then Theo turns to yeah. me and he looks at my makeup and my horns. I'm thinking he's going to ask me like, are those real or something like that? Right. You know what he says to me? What's that? Never forget this. Do you know you die? <gasps> oh. <laughs> yes. Dude, my friend Frank, he ran out of the building just like shaky. He said, no, no, no. <laughs> and so then the mom's like, Theo, I told you you couldn't tell them anything. And he started crying. He ran after Frank. He says, Frank, I'm so sorry. It, this, Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Alert, kid. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah. Right, you got a lot. See, you got. That's why you got to start your kids young in Star Wars because other kids will spoil it. <laughs> that's so funny. You you did tell me that oh, one. Oh man. Oh Theo. Oh well. Hopefully he's he's doing well and he still likes Star Wars. All right, sir. Oh yeah. I wonder where he's at these days. But wait, did you see those? Oh, did you look up those YouTube videos that show me actually in the line and AJ coming after me with the lightsaber? No. Did you send me the links for those? Uh, I'm probably forgot to send yeah, them to you. Yeah, that makes it a lot harder. <laughs> so, all right, sir, I think we put a pin in the Phantom Menace for now. Maybe we will revisit yes. it a little bit later. Foreshadowing. Well, I'm sure it'll come up in future reviews, yes, right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But we actually have something else, Travis, that we've talked about, and that'll be nope, a little nope, bit later. Don't blow it. Don't to, do it. Don't walk away from that edge. To, <laughs> when you when it comes out you guys will know it let me say that yes you'll know yeah. but anyway so. travis i'm not putting a pin in that i'm putting a nail on that one, <laughs> anything else before we call it a night sir no thank you so much for letting me just chat star wars so much fun just to talk about the memories and talk about opinions and and thank you all for listening. I hope you guys are staying safe out there and I hope we're keeping you entertained. Yeah, absolutely. I hope we are doing that. And if we are keeping you entertained, guys, please hit that subscribe button. And a new one for us this time. If you could tell one of your Super Star Wars friends about us, that would be great. Spread the word for Before the Z-Wing podcast. But for now, that'll do it. Yes. We are on Twitter at Before the ZW. That's the letter B, the number four, the ZW. On Instagram, we are Before underscore the underscore Z Wing. And we're on Facebook as Before the Z Wing. And why do we do that, Travis? To stay under the radar of the huts. Ooh, yes. 
All right, guys, thanks once again. This has been Before the Z-Wing Podcast. Before ZW. Never underestimate a droid. Attack the Clones is coming up next. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. Good night.